Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 194 for August 11th, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about tortured outdoor finishes, string inlay resources, and leapfrogging planes. But before we get to that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. When you spend weeks crafting the perfect box or cabinet, why would you use anything but the highest quality hardware? Russo has been making high-precision hardware here in the United States for over 20 years. The entire line is available in brass and stainless steel at brusso.com. While you're there, be sure to check out the new line of knife hinge installation templates. As a special offer to WoodTalk listeners, use the code WoodTalk at checkout for 10% off. Okay, we also like to give a special thanks to Peter C. and John V. for contributing to the show. And you can help us out, too, at woodtalkshow.com. Look in that left-hand column, and you'll see a couple of links there for one-time donations, recurring donations, and very small amounts. Whatever you want to do, every little bit helps out. We certainly appreciate that kind of support. So, gentlemen, let's get to what's on the bench. Uh, I'll jump in first. I made a grasshopper. Oh, right sweet. On. I feel like no. a little kid's like, I drew a butterfly. <laughs> Wait, no, is is that the, the green drink? And I can't remember what it is. Is it cream de mint? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It hits you pretty you hard go. if you're not careful. Right. Well, they also, aren't they also the cookies that have that oh. same flavor? Does it allow you to talk to women? Wait, no, that was Big Bang Theory. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. It was grasshoppers, right. wasn't it? I but, think it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, good call. I like that. Uh, yeah, it's actually just a little grasshopper pool toy. And, and here's what happened. We we have some new friends uh, here locally that uh, our, our kids go to the same daycare and uh, really nice people. And they posted a picture on Facebook of their, their daughter, who's Mateo's age. And she was at a Home Depot little build session. Like they have those little things where they just kind of knock some things together with nails. And they're like, yeah, look, I made a box. So I was wa- looking at this picture going, oh, come on, we can do better than that. Can't we do better than that? Like it's just they put together a little crate. So I'm like, I got, I feel like I'm a slacker here. Like I have a complete wood shop and I've yet to set up just a little basic project like that, just to go through the motions with my son. So I was like, let's do something fun. So I came up uh, with this little grasshopper toy. In fact, if you just look for grasshopper pool toy, uh, there's a lot of inspiration out there. A lot of people do make this. So you essentially set it up so that the back leg turns or the back wheels turn the leg and it just kind of looks like it's running along the floor as you pull it. And a lot of fun, very simple, couple of pre-made parts like the wheels and you can knock this thing together in, in a couple of hours. So I, I did all the cutting, of course, and the drilling and basically had the kids come in. They painted these things up, made them look ridiculous and then glued a bunch of crap to them. And then I did the assembly and let them run around the shop with them. So a lot of fun. I've got a video actually. I mean, truthfully, I just made this because I wanted to for, for my son. And I'm like, as, as is, goes like the case with anything in the shop, you guys know this too. There's very few things that get done in the shop that you don't feel guilty. Like if you don't document it. (laughs) So, so I immediately got the camera out and I'm like, I've got to document this thing. So we'll have a full plan and everything on the website pretty soon for this, but it was a blast to do this. I just can't, um, it was really, really cool to have my son actually doing something other than running around and playing my drums in the shop. (laughs) (laughs) So had a blast, really good time. So, um, a nice break, a nice change of pace before I go into the next guild build. 
Yeah, my I thought it was thing. funny the images I saw on Facebook where you see this close up of Mateo and whatever the little girl's name was, mm-hmm. and then there's Mark in the background with this like massive camera in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind Daddy and the giant cameras. <laughs> Don't mind Daddy and these these four soft boxes and there's lights all over you and, and the lavalier mic and make no sure pressure. You say something appropriate. <laughs> no pressure, kids. Um, <laughs> you know, given my my group of friends, that's not really that unusual. Yeah. Usually, though, it, it's a lot of uh, photographer cameras and get, look at me look at me trying to get an angle like weird down on the ground looking up and then reposing and yeah, yeah. It's so like the totally there you know what the kids the crazy thing is mateo is kind of used to it but his little friend i don't think she has cameras in her face that much she, <laughs> she did not even notice i mean she was totally a trooper with the whole thing and had a great time uh, so yeah couldn't ask for a better way to uh to spend a couple of days I don't know. My, my favorite thing about this is the fact that it's the usual, and I know we did this, we waited till our kids were old enough, and then once they had a quote-unquote friend, suddenly we're like, we should be friends with the parents because we want to have actual conversations. <laughs> it does make it easier when, um, like I've heard nightmare situations where you, like, you love the other couple, the other family, you, but the kids hate each other. Yes. You know, so you get yes. into this like pickle where you're not sure what to do with that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, fortunately, the kids great. The kids get along uh, really well and the parents are really cool, too. So wait. Cool. All right, Shannon, what about you? I'm building. Um, <clears throat> what was it? A couple episodes ago, I was talking about that dining table that I had kind of a de- the design grew on me a little bit. Well, I'm in, in full on mid build cutting joinery and everything. Yeah. And I just had a bridal joint kick my butt hey um it was (laughs) bridal joints are so i mean they're there's they're fundamental i mean i cut bridal joints all the time and just the way this was angled on the leg and granted this is um really kind of gnarly really really dense walnut i mean Mm -hmm. this is some of the heaviest walnut i've ever worked with but the way the the leg is is at an angle so the bridal joint was cut into the top of the leg the end of the leg at about 50 degrees and just it was like the perfect angle on the grain for it to just be a royal nightmare to chop out <laughs> nice um and and i started thinking you know maybe maybe this will disillusion some people but there are moments when i'm in the middle of something going boy this would be a lot easier if i could run this through insert machine here you know yeah. and then i go all right and that's usually when it's when it's like a heavily repetitive thing you know, I'll cut that first tenon, and then the, on the twelfth tenon, I'm like, this would be a lot easier if I could just <laughs> put it through the bandsaw or whatever. Sure. This was I was on the second bridal joint, the female part of the bridal joint specifically. The the male part was easy; it was just a normal tenon that sawed out without a problem. But trying to chop out once you saw the actual cheeks of that bridal joint again, we're talking about the the mortise part, the female part. Mm-hmm. Once you saw that part out getting the rest of it out. Normally I'll, I'll drill through kind of the root of that and it pops out and then you just pair it flat on the inside of that. There was no way to drill it out because of the angle of the board, because it was such an extreme angle. You couldn't, you couldn't drill it, you know, a drill, any drill bit would skate off the surface because it was almost 45 degrees. Mm -hmm. And from the other side, you couldn't do it either because of the angle, but also because you were drilling like almost directly into in grain and just the grain angle was so just wonky. So I had to, to literally chop the thing out. And this is a, what, five inch wide by four inch deep bridle. That's wow. one inch thick. You know, the tendon is one inch thick. It's a big, big bridle joint. 
And, you know, the, if I tried to chop too much, it just didn't do anything. So I was like chopping out like an eighth of an inch at a time, Jeez. just like oh pounding and pounding to the point where I can hear like the mallet echoing off the house across the street. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was wow. just like, there has got to be an easier way to do this. And I literally sat down and thought, how else could I do this? And I couldn't think of another way to do it, even if I had a shop full of power tools. You know, running that across a dado blade at that weird angle on essentially the skinny end would not have been safe. Mm -hmm. You know, then you could build the jig and all that stuff to cradle it or whatever. I couldn't think of another way that I actually could do this. It was too wide to like fit a fret saw or even a turning saw in there like you would saw at dovetail waste or whatever. It just, the only way I could think to do it was just to chisel the damn thing out. (laughs) And it was just, it sucked. (laughs) It's just... Oh my God! It, when te- is it tested your faith, over? didn't it? <laughs> it really did. But you know, it, it it was it was an affirmation that I I couldn't think of another way, power tool or not. I couldn't think of a more efficient way to do what I was doing. There are just some points in woodworking where you just have to slog it out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just no faster way. It just got to pound the crap out of it until the the waste is done. But man, I mean, I think it's just a combination of it being really dense, kind of gnarly grained walnut. But it's just funny when you change the angle ever so slightly, you know, and now I was like chopping into end grain, but it was a little tougher than end grain. It was just, it sucked. (laughs) Put it that way. Uh, Like they say, just because you can sketch it don't mean you can build it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Nice. I have to tell you, when I first saw that on the list, I thought you misspelled bridal and you were talking about some sort of thing at, like, say, one of those wedding dress things. I'm like, why? What's going on, Shannon? Are you getting remarried? No, someone's getting married. What's going on, everybody? I just couldn't find the right fit. And they were trying to push me into an A-line dress, and I just wasn't happy with it because it makes my hips look huge. You know what, Shannon? You just need to say yes to the dress and be happy with it. I know you watch that show. I know you do. The fact uh, that I know that's a show is implicating myself. But I was going to say, I'm like, uh, it takes one to know one in that situation. Is it okay to, that I say that I have no idea what you guys are talking about? Oh, it's a very good please. thing. The three of us have had ch- three-way chats on this one. What are you talking about? I don't there, have buddy? to give up my man card? Is that, okay. All right. Well, Matt, what about you? Well, you know what? I, I took a huge leap this weekend. Whoa, and was finally, I'm, gl- I'm glad you the, went there and not where I thought you were going. Okay, good. Took a huge. Well, we can we can restart that part if you want to, just to make <laughs> okay. it really uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, so I, I took a, a a big leap this weekend, and it was the first weekend in a long time that I've had a chance really to do anything uh, shop wise. And I decided I've been deciding this for a while, and I've been really pushing myself to finally take the step to do it. And I did it this weekend. I moved the lathe out of the basement and out into the garage where I don't care how many chips it makes and how much noise is going on and stuff like that. So uh, first of all, there was a huge noise as I was trying to carry. It's only one of those midi laves, but man, it's amazing how that little bit of cast iron is still heavy as unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah, so I got that out. I got the stand all set up. I, I went out there and I immediately brought my tools out. And just went to town on it just just to play and see what I could do because I think a lot of times I'm a little too nervous to like really hog out and play with it quite a bit in the basement. And so once I got it out there, just I was out there for easily an hour, couple of hours doing absolutely nothing of significance, just removing and hogging away wood and playing with some of the different chisels just to see what they do. And I'm really even more so, and I know I've said this before the few times I played with it completely getting into that mindset of like this is awesome (laughs) so i'm really almost kind of scared of it hopefully i can keep the car parked in front of it so i can't get to it that often 
But the the little bit that I did, I'm just like so many things are running through my head of things I want to try to make and yeah. play with. And sure, in the winter, it's going to get a little cold out there. But um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know what? You should run with it. There, there really yeah. aren't many people turning in podcasts, right? I mean, there's um, oh, there's a gentleman on YouTube. I can't remember his name. Um, has a has a pretty big following, but there there's just not that many. You know, most people are just building stuff and and things and not doing lathe work. So there's a real big gap there. Yeah, I, you know, at this point, I am still extremely new to the whole lathe. I mean, there's a lot of things I couldn't even. I can't use proper terminology, so I'll probably refer to them the wrong way. But it <laughs> yeah. might be a neat way to just kind of play with it and see what happens and kind of share my experience. Yeah, well, you could be like today. To today we're gonna do a bowl, and then tomorrow <laughs> we're gonna do a different bowl. <laughs> today we're gonna learn how not to hold the the gouge at this angle. That's why I have this one eye patch. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You know, if it gets cold, just don't clear the shavings away. Just let them pile up and pile up and then, like, insulate you. Ooh. I actually thought about that because when I looked down, I'm suddenly like, you know what? I think I need to get, like, one of those Turner's aprons or something because I was covered head to toe in shavings. And I'm like, it's kind of cool, but at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> what, what you need is a is a branded Wood Whisperer Turner's tool roll. They're Ooh. available in the Wood Whisperer store. Thank you for I doing got, that, Shannon. I got many compliments on my Wood Whisperer branded Turner's roll when I did the demo down at the Shenandoah Wood Turner's Guild. Then why the hell aren't they selling? Because <laughs> that was the dumbest thing I've ever had made. <laughs> Am I the only one that ever bought one? Uh, maybe you and like one other guy. Because it was like we, we had this thing where we had this connection to get these things made and then we had them embroidered. And I'm like, you know what? A Turner's roll sounds great. You know, in theory, it makes a lot of sense, but it just doesn't sell. And I think part of the problem is I don't turn much on the show, so I'm not attracting very many Turners to the show. Um, it stands to reason that I wouldn't sell very many of them. But uh, man, well, they're they're about to go the, on a reduction sale with with Matt shirts. The other thing of how often do you take your turning tools somewhere? That's the thing. And that's yeah. the first time I've actually taken my turning tool somewhere. And I was like, oh, hey, I mean, to be honest, Mark, I bought it because I think it was like during your DDoS thing. And it was like <laughs> support the wood. Let me, let me just and find I was just something. Like, nope. Yeah. I've got a sticker, got some pencils. Actually, I bought some more pencils and I was like, oh, I'll buy a Turner's roll. You know, let's hook the guy up. Well, yeah. And, and you're <laughs> right. It was the first time I've actually used it. Well, you're right, though. If you're a dedicated Turner, you're probably going to have some sort of a display rack to make your tools easily to access. And having them in a roll is really only something you're going to do when traveling or I guess if you have a really tight space situation but even then yeah. you probably want your tools a little uh, easier accessible than than in a roll. Well and that's the one thing I was thinking about with where I have it right now is uh, I'm like well you know once it does start to turn to winter and stuff like that maybe I for once I will be one of those people like Dear Mark, Matt, and Shannon, how do I protect my tools from rusting when they're exposed to the cold temperatures outside? <laughs> right. So right now I've got like one of those magnetic covers. Actually, it's not even a magnetic cover. It has magnets in it, but one of those rust-inhibiting tool covers. I threw that on top of it. I keep thinking I need to do something else with those tools because they're, they're pretty exposed. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens with that. Maybe that... That tool roll might be in my. I'm gonna have to <laughs> I would, look at. I'm gonna just send you one. I just want them out of here. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> well, like my t-shirts. Right. This entire what's on the bench segment. What we need to remember is is episode 194. In the first 10 minutes, there's about 30 audio clips of Matt that we need to revisit. <laughs> yes. Lots of things about playing with it and how it went so well. And yes, yeah. let me just leave it at that. That's perfect. I will do mini, that. Mini audio clips to be mined from this episode. I don't know. There was one in there where Shannon admitted that he was looking at an A a frame dress or <laughs> <laughs> that's that too. The first 10 minutes we've got plenty sweet for, for episode number 200 coming up soon. There you the go. Cross dresser episode. 
All right, let's move into what's new, guys. We've got a couple of links to share here. The first one is from Tim. It says it's an interesting article on starting a makerspace. It could be an interesting single topic show. Whoops, I probably should have taken that out. Um, <laughs> uh, would more woodworkers go to a makerspace or makers to a woodworking club? Question mark. And uh, it's from makezine.com. And it is just a basic article giving you an idea of what kind of things are required for a makerspace. But I think this is, you know, the concept of makers and this whole thing is probably, I would imagine a lot of the listeners here have probably heard of it. Maybe you don't know that much about it and what makes it different than like a collaborative sort of public woodworking space. What makes this space different? And I think this is kind of a cool article to introduce you to that. I don't know if you're going to start a makerspace. I mean, this is definitely a good introduction, but you're going to need a lot more information than what's here uh, to make that successful. But it's kind of a very basic guideline. Um, but very interesting. And I think the more of these that crop up for, you know, woodworkers, there's still great opportunities for this. You may not have to use, you know, the laser cutter or the 3d printer and stuff like that. <laughs> right. You could just use the wood shop portion of this space. Um, but yeah, a, a cool little article. We'll put the link in the show notes for you. Yeah. I you know somebody had mentioned like, uh, uh, off of the show, obviously, they sent me an email like, hey, we should start one in your area. And I'm like, well, actually, there is one. There's one only about 45 minutes away out in Grand Rapids. And they, they have all that stuff. And they have the Woodturners Association come in all the time to do free demos. And it's funny because their Facebook page just blows up constantly with some of the projects that they have going on. And it keeps growing. They're always asking for more volunteers. In fact, I think they have paid staff recently that they've been looking to hire. Wow. And it's crazy some of the projects they have going out of there. And the neat thing is you can – I'm going to have to look it up someplace and just double check. I have to post this someplace else. But I think they even have like a uh, 24-hour webcam of all the stuff they have going on in there. So it's kind of a, a neat look in, into the whole maker's space just to see what's happening. It's kind of neat because it it really is filling a need. And we look at – like people talk about how schools lose their, their programs for things like this. So it's not being something that's um, part of a regular curriculum. But there's clearly still a – a, a sort of maker mentality, a craftsman mentality that goes through people and they want to create things. And this is just kind of doing that same thing, you know, but it's on a, a broader scale and it's becoming, uh, I, I don't want to call it trendy, but it is becoming something that has that, that feel of a trend. So hopefully it will last and this won't <laughs> just be a temporary thing. But when you're looking at young people getting into this stuff and not really having the facilities to do the work, this is a great opportunity. The more of these, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, one thing I, I keep thinking of is one way I almost kind of describe it. And this is definitely – I don't know. Maybe this is the right way to describe it. It's like the nerds version of the YMCA. Rather than going to play <laughs> basketball or go swimming or doing those athletic things, you can go to this thing and trick out on like computers or 3D printers or CNC or whatever you want. You know, it's, yeah. it's definitely a neat thing to kind of come in and experiment with all these things without worrying about somebody snapping a towel at you in the uh, locker room. <laughs> well, you might just have to worry about – the person next to you blowing something up because <laughs> they don't, they don't maybe, know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, something you like going to robot wars and you're like, wait a minute, I just came in to learn how to knit. <laughs> yeah, really. Cool. All right, Matt, so, you're next. All right, well, this one came in from Kenji and he thought, he, Kenji said, I thought I'd pass along this folding ladder that folds out folds up to what looks like a four by four or maybe a six by six. So it's a neat little, I think about a 30 second video. And sure enough, that's exactly what it is. You see the guy kind of approaching it and I can't remember if it's completely folded out. It looks like a regular wooden um, step ladder. And then it just kind of all folds up and all the neat little hinges and everything else allows it to just kind of collapse in on itself. And you hmm. can easily set it in the corner and not worry about it. And actually to some degree looks almost a little decorative. So sweet. 
it looks like something that you'd expect from like uh what's that Swedish store? Ika Ikea Ikea. Ikea? Ikea. Hummer Schlemmer. That one too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> cool. Shannon? You busy? This was sent to me from Thomas. And it is um it's apparently yeah i'm just envisioning how how good i looked in it um apparently there is some crazy carver in china that's the words from the uh from the article itself that has now is now in the guinness book of world records for the world's longest wooden carving basically took a tree cut it down and carved it um i want to say it's like 40 feet long like six feet tall and it is a uh very famous i know i've seen the the artwork it's uh along the along the river during the Qingming festival um it is it's ridiculous it's the level of detail in this carving and i have no idea what kind of wood it is but it's got to be a really good carving wood because he's got like boats in the harbor carved it fully in the round with like masts and rigging and everything it's just ridiculous this is too Um, much detail there's just too much yeah Yeah, i agree with you (laughs) i mean What's crazy is it says it took him f- four years, and they're saying like it took him all like four years. I'm thinking that's all. <laughs> they're saying that's a long time, and I'm thinking, my God, this guy's fast. I might get that house done in four years, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> and so, have it, and actually have it look like a house. It's just funny how the perception is a little bit different there. So all these little dudes that are like in the little like cityscape area, the village, these are all attached. They're not. They're not like glued on and carved separately. They're just carved out of the whole piece. That was my impression. Somewhere in this article, it, it said something to that respect. That it's not like because that's where it starts to get hard to believe. Like I could see the buildings and all that stuff, but there are so many little detailed like people in there that can you imagine? Each one of them were they were surrounded by wood, and he had to work all of that down in that detail. That's, that's nuts. nuts. That's, that is. That's not. I, w- I would say it's on another level, but it's like on three levels higher than what my brain can handle. <laughs> I wonder if there's anybody that started out originally like as a full size man, and so they're like, "Oops, that's a small child now." <laughs> <laughs> like the, the the ladder stuff on top of this one building. It's like the second image down. The detail yeah. in the cross pieces on that ladder. If that were just one solid block of material previously, can you imagine how hard that would be to get that to look the way it does? Well, yeah, even like there's that cityscape and then you go down to like the next one where there's like the boats. I mean, just the waves and then the the detail in the trees. I'm just like, that's that's nuts. What? In the article, it says 550 individually carved people. OK, that makes me feel that like means they're dropped in. Yeah. Or did he? I mean, of course he carved each one. Yeah, that's the only thing that, that must yeah, mean. He carved them and then like dropped them hot in. glued them in place. Yeah. Little CA glue. That, that'll do you. We'll see. Check eBay for like carvings and you'll see like some dude like snapped it off, put it on eBay. That's nuts though. Well, kudos to that guy. That's inspirational stuff right there. You know, on the same day that this went into the uh, Guinness Book of World Records, apparently the uh, hula hoop record was broken (laughs) simultaneously along with the largest gathering of people dressed as penguins. Wow. Yeah, it it is funny. Just this is one of these um, websites that like it tries to hit like every demographic. Yeah. So like if you scroll to the bottom, you know, there's lots of scantily clad women and like celebrity type gossip and things. And you could just see the last paragraph of this goes into talking about other, other records smashed that day. It's like, yeah, we've held your attention as long as we can. Now let's go on to more pop culture news. Now here's 20 ugly mug shots, which I actually did click on and I don't recommend doing that because it's disturbing. 
Oh, uh, you know, just for the record, though, it says that the uh, also on that day, the record for most darts caught by one hand in one minute was also broken that day. And I imagine that was also close to being the loudest screams heard in a bar. <laughs> ouch, ouch, ouch. I mean, is that really a record that we need in the world? Catching <laughs> darts with one somebody hand? somebody feels like it is. It's got to be an easy one to set, though. I mean, how much competition can there well, really if it be? Well, especially if it didn't exist prior to you doing <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. So. Wow. It's just called Everybody Gets a Ribbon Day. There you go. I'm going to set the record for most chortles in one episode. Get ready. <laughs> I think you already hold that one, buddy. I, I think say I that too. might be a tough record to beat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move into the poll of the week by our good buddy, Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com. Last week, he asked the question, how do you cut your mortises? And there's a lot of different answers. We're not going to go through them all. But the most popular one with about uh, 337 votes, 30% of the votes was the plunge router method for cutting mortises. And just behind that at 21% was the hollow chisel mortiser. Uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, good old hand tools, 16%. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. And there was a little bit of confusion. He said chain drill and chisel. What he meant to say is chain drilling. In other words, hogging out the material with a drill and then using a chisel. So you, I don't know, some people may lump that into the hand tool method. I don't know. Some people feel weird about you know, oh, I call. thought he meant like one of those timber framing, like, like chainsaw mortises. <laughs> That's what everyone tried to figure out. Like, what is a chain drill? I'm not familiar I, with Have you seen drill. those things? They're awesome. I have not. It's like a little tiny chainsaw. And it, imagine a chainsaw and a drill press come, yeah. that had a child. And you, you set the plate on the wood, and you fire up the chainsaw, and you plunge it into the wood. Yeah. In fact, I think um, Christopher Shores used one when he was in Germany last time making Rubo benches. Oh, wow. It's, it's a common timber framers tool. It's basically a, it's a chainsaw, and it cuts out massive mortises. Nice. That's what I thought he was talking about. Oh, oh well, by the way, uh, 9% say they don't cut no stinking mortises. <laughs> I just use dowels and or biscuits. Butt joints and glue, baby, all the way. That's what it, what I right. think we need to cross-reference is next week, when because this week's one is tenons, yep. does the 9% number match the entry? I don't cut no stinking tenons. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> if it's like, you know, 30% say they don't cut tenons, but only 9% say they don't cut mortises, what are they doing with these homeless tenons? Yeah, seriously. Well, That's what I want to know. All right, well, that is the uh, the next week uh, question. If you want to go to the Wood Whisperer and look for the poll there, the next one is how do you cut your tenons in your shop? And there's a couple different answers that you could choose from, and we will give you the results next week. And uh, we're going to skip a couple of sections here, a little bit light in terms of content today, but uh, you don't mind, do you? It's better than listening to the radio. That's right. And besides, uh, just like last week, I have another great uh, email that we're going to answer that will put everybody to sleep. So we need all the space in the world for it. <laughs> Dude, I listened to that like four times and every time I laugh my butt off. <laughs> and I was like, that was the funniest thing I ever said on this show. <laughs> all right. I didn't laugh as much as you think. No, it was. I don't. I don't <laughs> think you thought it was that funny. No, I was like, ha ha. <laughs> it makes it all the more funny for me. <laughs> all right. So jumping into our email, I've got a uh, sort of a twofer. I've got a question from Neil and another one from Jeff, and they both deal with outdoor finishes. And I know even last week I talked about outdoor finishes a little bit with Bob's voicemail. Um, so this one is a little bit more specific toward what finish to use. So Neil says, my wife and I were given a garden table and chairs, which were already several years old, but in good shape. These have been treated with BLO, boiled linseed oil, each year before we receive them and were again given BLO before we just, uh, I guess, before they just got them. I've read that uh, once you begin the routine of applying BLO uh, to teak, that you need to continue the process each year. So as I understand it, I'm now trapped in that yearly cycle. I've used Mark's Desert Outdoor Finish with great success so far on a gate that I made. And that's, uh, by the way, a reference to an old video I did showing how to use a marine varnish with a little bit of oil and uh, and uh, thinner to make a formula that's good for, you know, really, really bad environments like 
Mexico and Arizona. Uh, with great success so so far in a gate that I made, and it's lasted a year with exposure to the elements and no signs of deterioration in this crazy weather here in Monterey, Mexico. So it's been pretty effective. I was wondering what you guys think about applying this finish to teak furniture. Will the spar varnish offer more protection and help maintain the color longer? So maybe I don't need to apply the finish every two years or so. And Jeff has a similar question, and I won't read it uh, verbatim, but basically he's got two oak doors that faced west. Uh, they get hammered by the sun and it seems like every couple of years, uh, maybe every three years, his finish is peeling and he's using spar urethane, probably like a helmsman product on the door and it just constantly flakes off over time. So he wants to know if there's um, other things that we might consider, something that he can apply while having the door still hung so you don't have to take the door down because let me tell you, that's not fun. <laughs> if you live in a hot no. environment, <laughs> taking that door down for like two days is not a popular thing to do with the family. So <laughs> let the dingoes roll in. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, these two are related because they really do describe two very similar situations, both where there's br- like really brutal conditions, lots of sun, lots of heat and lots of Western exposure, which I've dealt with at, uh, at my, my previous house where we used to live. So what, what I think is best to do in those cases is to do what Neil mentioned, that desert outdoor finish. You really need something that is more durable in the long run and isn't going to create a big thick film because over time, those films, they're all going to fail. Now, if you use a really high quality finish like Epiphanes, you got a better chance of it uh, not failing over time. And there's certain, certainly things you can do, but a lot of people don't like that real thick, glossy you know, side of a boat or a boat deck sort of look that you get when you use those really heavy duty varnishes. So what I like to do is make essentially an oil varnish blend that just uses something like Epiphanes, a really high quality marine varnish as the varnish component. Then you put in a little bit of boiled linseed oil or tongue oil and then a thinner. And this mixture is something you could just rub into the surface, um, wipe off all the excess and apply a coat every year or two. And honestly, on the door that I did in Arizona, I was a little bit lazy about it. I didn't get to it after the first year. I didn't even get to it after the second year. Uh, It wasn't until the third year that I was looking at it and it started to look like dry. I mean, I know we're not talking about true dryness here, but something about it just looked like it needed a little bit of love. So I sanded it down lightly and added another coat of the same mixture and it uh, was good again. And now we don't live there anymore, so I haven't seen it since then. Uh, It probably looks like crap now because (laughs) they they didn't oil it. Um, But I think that sort of, yeah, it's a little bit more maintenance but you're not dealing with flaking. You're not dealing with peeling. You're just reapplying, refreshing, and making the door look good again. And it's just a little bit of a labor of love. So I think in both of these situations, for both Jeff and Neil, I think that type of finish is a good option. And what you may do is just kind of vary your different components depending on what you want. If you want a little bit more protection, you could beef up the varnish component. If you want something that's just easier to apply, a little bit thinner, doesn't build up to a film, go higher on the oil content and thin it all out. You want it to be pretty thin because you're going to probably apply this with wiping and then wiping off the excess. Um, so that's usually the finish I recommend for these really tortured environments that, you know, a film is just destined to fail in almost every case. It's just a matter of time is what it comes down to. Uh, Matt, how about you? All right. Well, this question came in from Marty and I'm just going to put this out here. He's asking about uh, string inlay and I have done none of it because it's not something that normally majority of my projects, I, I just don't see myself using it. But the beauty is, well, let me go into the question. He says, I'm preparing to build a king-size bed frame that would be made from cherry and would like to add some string inlay details to the headboard and possibly the stretchers to kind of shake things up a little bit. However, I've never worked with this type of inlay before and would like some suggestions on tools and educational resources for an inlay novice. Now, this is the reason why 
I felt comfortable taking this question is because I can easily provide you with uh, suggestions for resources and tools of things that I've never actually done. That's one of my expertise. Is, are you uh, sure? You. Are you sure the reason isn't just because you're being lazy? Oh no, definitely. <laughs> I not. just want to check. I was hoping you were going to talk about string theory personally. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's coming up on a special episode of Wood Talk in space. Nice. So anyways, uh, the first two resources that immediately come to mind for me uh, when it comes to the string inlay, uh, it's two DVDs. Uh, one is Glenn Huey's Line and Berry String Inlay by Router, and the other one is Steve Lada's Fundamentals of Inlay Stringing Line and Berry. And the reason why these two particularly come into mind is, number, number one, both of them are, are excellent instructors. But I like the idea that, of course, anything with Glenn Huey is going to be more power tool oriented, and it's always interesting to see him do things that normally you'd be thinking that's more of a traditional hand tool kind of a job. And so that, that for one is depending on what you're comfortable with Marty B power tool or hand tool. I think either one of these DVDs are going to fulfill whatever it is that you need to for the type of woodworking that you do or watch both of them and be inspired to try the other one out. Uh, so again, depending on which one you're, you're, you're going to prefer whatever style of woodworking they're, they're going to definitely have something in there. Now, when it comes to the tools, again, it depends on, are you willing to spend money for this? You know, do you, do you want to get ready-made tools? If that's the case, for sure, Lee Nielsen is probably one of the outlets that you want to go to. They've got a whole wide variety, actually only two or three specific tools. And, of course, it's Steve Lotta is the one that designed these. Uh, there's, like, one for straight, cur- uh, straight cuts. There's one for curves. Uh, there's even a special thicknessing gauge that they have available for getting that string inlaid down to the thickness so it'll fit right into the the cuts that you make on the surface. So head over to Lee Nielsen, check those things out. But at the same time, and I got to make sure I got to put a link in here. I was just doing a quick search out there because I remember I went to Jeff Miller's actually for a Lee Nielsen event. And this is when the Steve Lotta tools were first being introduced. And Jeff happened to have quietly over on a bench towards the back tools that he was using, uh, which was more or less something similar to that thickness engage for the stringing. He had just a, uh, a chip breaker and a, a blade set up, kind of mounted onto a, a jig. And he said he was able to just pull it through and do something like that. So, you know, you could easily, or even like for getting the lines themselves in the material, you could use like a scratch stock to help set it up. Uh, so I found a link, not to Jeff Miller, but AmericanWoodworker.com. They had a neat blog where, one, they were showing off some of the Lee Nielsen things. And then, two, they mentioned a couple of the homemade thickness gauges. So that will be a resource to check out. And then the other thing, I remembered this completely. I don't know how, where I pulled this out of. Do you guys remember Wood Trucks with Keith Crookshanks? Oh, yeah. Oh, Keith yeah. Crookshanks. Who yeah. can forget Crookshanks? Yeah, he's he has some really great stuff, amazing video quality. And he actually happens to have... A couple of videos that are all about decorative string inlay woodworking. Mm. Uh, in fact, the one I'll have in the links right now is Making and Applying Decorative String Inlay. It's about 10 minutes in length. It's a nice, quick tutorial, and it's just really, really neat. And again, this is the gentleman that is showing it isn't Keith. It's another expert, and a lot of the stuff he's using, it looks like they're homemade tools, so it will give you an idea of what maybe you could do yourself or what you could do if you decide to purchase them pre-manufactured. Hmm. If I remember correctly, that was a visit to the Erie and Furniture Company. Exactly. <clears> that's, I, that was I exactly think is where was. Steve developed his tools. Oh, well, they, they um, looked so, awfully familiar. Yeah, there's a lot of interrelated stuff. Before Erie and stopped making furniture, became a lumber company. This was, uh, God, this was a while ago now, but 
good videos. Woodtrex yeah. is awesome. Yeah, you know, um, string inlay, I haven't done much of it. My first experience with it was just recently with the Blacker House chair build. And on the back, it's got this kind of, you know, it's not line and berry, but it is string inlay. Um, surprisingly easy. You know, because yeah. because you're not because it's such thin stringing and you're kind of just conforming it to whatever shape um, you're not really obsessing about fitting the perfect shape into the perfect recess like you are if you're doing just kind of like a normal uh, decorative image on a background. So once you get into it and you know what tools to use, you know, the tricks of the trade, suddenly you're making these really beautiful, fine lined inlays that are absolutely gorgeous. And it's just not as hard as you might think it is. Yeah, right. I've only ever done it as like a border around a drawer front or whatever, but mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, it's, if you can use a scratch stock, I mean, that's all it is. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Scratching out a little narrow channel and, and stuffing in some contrasting wood. Exactly. Just hammer that in there and uh, you're good to go. Right. And, and definitely one more thing with the, the resources themselves. Again, keep kind of mentioning the, the Lee Nielsen DVDs, but they not only have that particular one I mentioned with Steve Lott. I think they've got a couple others in there, depending on the style of... Uh, inlay that you want to do. I know they have one specifically for like federal uh, period pieces and stuff like that. So again, he's got like three or four of them now, doesn't he? I bet you that he's probably the one that we are doing those other ones too. And I just didn't look at the the name of the the host of it. So Hmm. well, remember as well that Veritas now responded and they have a string inlay kit. And if I remember correctly, it it's a blade that goes with the Veritas router. So if you already have a Veritas router plane, um, that could be uh, an economical way to to get a ready-made tool. They have little cutters and things that go into that router plane body and will make uh, the grooves for you. I love that little competition between uh, Robin <laughs> yeah. oh, and yeah. Thomas. I mean, it's just like, sure, we on all the outside, win, right? they're like, we're best buddies. <laughs> we're friends. Yeah. This competition doesn't bother me. And you know, on inside, they're just like, I'm going to totally... But the but you know what the woodworkers win every time exactly <laughs> you know you know it's great too if you uh, Google line and berry be sure to take a look at berry line frozen yogurt uh, in Massachusetts oh. that'll appear on the right hand side it's got four point two stars out of five oh I I, okay. I was trying to do a little subliminal thing there but they are a sponsor this week <laughs> there you go <laughs> just kind of nice. kidding nice I don't even know who they are I hope they make good stuff but anyway uh, who's next Shannon. That's me. That's this you. is from Eric the Red. And Eric says, Aloha, you guys. Sounds like it's a Viking. Red. Yeah, it's, it's funny because he's on the North Shore of Oahu. Weird. So, How did he end up in Hawaii? really overshot that fjord. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you got to stop paddling, buddy. Just pull over. <laughs> so mahalo, Eric, from my birth state, um, my birth location too, Minilani Town, Oahu. Mahalo. Anyway. Yeah, bless you. Let's see, where was I here? Yeah, the past couple of years, uh, I have been veering away from power tools, trying to go all hand tools. I love working with the local figured woods here and have a few nice old record planes as well as Lee Nielsen number four for finishing off the job. By the way, if you are not aware of some of the local Hawaiian woods, certainly Koa, most people know Koa and Curly Koa is beautiful, but macadamia and mango are awesome to eat. Yes, yes, I was going to say too. it's my favorite yogurts. <laughs> They're great flavors. <laughs> that too. But if you ever get your hands on macadamia or mango lumber, um, get an opportunity for those. Snatch it up. Mango lumber is beautiful stuff to work with. And is the not to ask a stupid question, but is the macadamia lumber the same thing that produces the nuts? I, you know, I have always assumed that was the case. Yeah, but you I would don't think. Actually, know that. Is it? I don't actually know that also? the mango is the same mango fruit that we like either. Hmm. I would think so. Well, someone needs to let us know. 
Please. I'll, I'll, or better I'll yet, just send us some. Actually, I'm looking on the Wood database, and the common name for macadamia nut is macadamia, macadamia nut, and they actually do have a, a sample of the material. Actually, at least in the picture, it looks a little bit like a combination of like mahogany and lacewood. Yeah. Just this one shot. I don't. It's a very small picture, but anyway. Another reason why I like macadamia. It, oh, it does say right here, uh, the rays exhibit a lacewood-like effect when quarters on. Hmm. Okay. If it's the same stuff. Anyway, so to Eric's question, <laughs> he... <laughs> Sorry to derail you there. Many, many of the Hawaiian woods can be pretty figured and difficult to plane, and he's getting tear out and things like that. So what he's asking is Lee Nielsen sells uh, higher angle frogs. Um, they sell 50 degree and 55 degree angle frogs. And he's wondering what the advantage of getting another frog. It seems like it would be less time with the same results just to throw in a different iron. I'm assuming he's talking about putting a back bevel on the iron compared with unscrewing, taking the 45-degree frog out, putting it in a 55? Or should I just get the 50-degree frog and use it for everything? I spend enough time sharpening and maintaining my tools. I do enjoy it, but I enjoy the actual woodworking more. And he wants to know what our thoughts are. Mm. And I chose this because this is one of those things that I have kind of, from the outside looking in, kind of said, I don't get this. I've never decided to buy a higher-angle frog. And... I, granted, I work with very agreeable woods. I happen to like straight grain more than I do figure, but I've got my share of tiger maple that I've played with and planed and difficult you know, tropical jungle woods and things like that. And <clears throat> I have never really seen that much benefit from the higher angle. A really, really finely sharpened blade, a very tight mouth on the plane, and a really close space chip breaker has been able to solve most of the problems that I would run into. And then... If that still doesn't work, I grab a card scraper and that fixes everything. So I've often wondered, would I really do this? Now, I have a Veritas bevel up plane that specifically has a real high angle on the bevel. So it's kind of the same thing that we're going for is really increasing that angle. And yeah, it planes just about anything in any grain direction tear out free. So I'm not denying that it works. But man, to actually unscrew, have you ever taken the frog out of a plane there's multiple screws to pull out mm. and all this stuff you have to extract and then you have to feed the adjuster back in and slot it over on the, on the, the adjustment, uh, advancement nut and everything. And it just seems like you do, then you've got to get it all lined up and then you've got to put the blade back in and align the blade and advance all that. And I've always been under the impression that if you were to buy a higher angle frog, it's one of those things where you just kind of install it and leave it. And, you know, then maybe you've got another plane that's got a, the standard angle 45 frog and then you've got one that's got a 50 degree or 55 degree. I just don't <clears throat> I just don't see that stopping and basically doing plane surgery in order to, to tackle tear out when there's other tools that can do it for you. And frankly, a card scraper is a heck of a lot cheaper. So, you know, if it were me, Eric, I I wouldn't bother. Um, and if you do get another plane. <laughs> and dedicate that plane, you know, and you can call it your polishing plane, if you will. That's really for that last pass you take to clean up, you know, a little bit there. But with the Lee Nielsen number four that you already have, um, try advancing the frog a little bit. If you don't have a tight enough mouth, resharpen your blade and just inch that that chip breaker forward ever so slightly. There's no reason for the chip breaker to be you know, any further back than, you know, some people say a 64th of an inch. I know people who use feeler gauges to set it back like one one thousandth of a hair's gnat's wing distance. Mm. Um, you know, there's that 
video that went around the internet of the what was the Japanese guy that did all these like micron examinations of how it cuts. So I think we've almost proven that a chip breaker close to the cutting edge will control tear out. Um, I just don't know that additional frog is really, really worth the time, frankly. I'm going to offer a slightly different opinion and not contradictory because that does sound like a real pain in the butt to switch the frog. So, so <laughs> my thoughts are coming from the low angle jack perspective where switching to a higher degree bevel is just as easy as switching out your iron. So for me, I actually have had pretty significantly different results from low angle to high angle on really, really figured woods or just difficult grained woods that have made a difference for me. And a lot of times I'm just kind of, I'm working on the edge. Um, I might just be edging a board and that's a place where I don't like to use the card scraper just on a three quarter inch board. I have a tendency not to necessarily end up with something that's square anymore. Um, so on those edges, it tends to be a problem. Um, even for someone who's using, you know, I'm doing face work with, with other tools a lot of the times. So I've noticed a really substantial uh, difference. Now, a lot of this can come down to how well you know the tool and how well you can wield that tool. So like you're saying, I have no doubt that someone with more experience bringing that tool to a piece of wood might be able to refine the approach of that plane and get a little bit better of a result, uh, than, than I'm able to get with it. But with that in mind, knowing that a lot of us are kind of going to fall into that category of like weekend woodworkers who don't have the you know time to have all those hours of experience, sometimes getting a, a plane that is just slightly differently configured may wind up being a bit of helping your handicap in a way by like helping you through that thing that sure over time, maybe you'll be able to use that standard smoother and get a better result by refining the approach. But for now, that higher angle frog is going to really help you over that, that hump a little bit and get you to a point that you get nice smooth results. And if he's using a lot of this stuff and he's using a lot of hard dense woods with this figure issue, uh, he may, like you said, it may may warrant just getting another body or a whole nother plane and dedicating it to the higher angle uh, or going for something like a low angle Jack where he can, you know, swap out the, uh, the blades at at, as much as he needs to. Um, But for me personally, I have seen quite a bit of a difference with that higher angle, but I also don't use planes nearly as much as you do. So that may be part of the reason. No, you, you've got a very good point. The plane with a longer sole is definitely going to give you better results, especially on a narrow edge or something like that and prevent you from taking it out of flat. Now, again, if we're talking about, you know, final smoothing and you're pulling thousands of an inch shavings, you got to really take a lot of passes to pull it out of flat. You're doing something wrong (laughs) if you're pulling it really out of flat. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I completely agree with you, Mark. It, it is something where, I mean, I have six smoothing planes. Do I need six smoothing planes? No, you I don't. jerk. Yeah, I'm kind Whatever. of a bragger. That's a bit of a, of a cry for help. I recognize that. But Gluttony. I could see having two or three of them easily um, where you've got them set up differently. Um, am I going to stop and change the frog? Heck no. But yeah. maybe putting a back bevel on a regular blade and then you're getting the same type of idea that you've got with a bevel up plane where you can swap on a, a different bevel and get that. So to me, that would still be the path, more the path of least resistance than getting another frog yeah. and, and tearing it out. Um, you know, he's already got a few vintage planes. I say you could even go that route. You know, you don't have to necessarily go buy a brand new Lee Nielsen. You could buy a vintage plane, tune it up and tune it specifically for that final finishing pass on your curly coat or whatever it is. Sure. So, and, and that is the type of thing, like you said before, if you do work with a lot of figured woods uh, enough, I think you're going to find having a dedicated plane set up all the time is going to be so much better yeah. than than the um, 
you know, swapping and changing things out and resetting the depth and all that fun stuff. Yeah, that sounds like a pain. Mm-hmm. Yes, Good times. All right. Well, if you're listening to this show and you're sitting there thinking, you know what? I really like this. I want to help these guys continue to do what they do every week and bring us this awesome woodworking programming. You actually can help us out a few different ways. You could make a recurring or one-time donation by going to woodtalkshow.com, looking in the left-hand column and clicking one of those links there. It's pretty self-explanatory when you get there. You can also go to TWWstore.com and pick up a beautiful blue Wood Talk t-shirt and show your support that way. Or you could leave us an iTunes review. Just look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us one of those sweet, sweet five-star reviews that we like. And uh, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right, folks. Hey, do you have a comment, a question, or maybe a topic suggestion? You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180, or you can even email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, and you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page if you like to do stuff like that. <laughs> and if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. So good. I really enjoyed this show, and, uh, well, I guess that's about it, and we will catch you next time. Absolutely. See ya. Don't forget to spay or new to your pets. Ew. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.